0: Good evening. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 13. Romans, chapter 13. And we're nearly at the end of the B-team, my friends. Pastor Halana will be out and with us soon. And on behalf of the B-team, even so, come, Pastor Halana. Two messages in a row and I'm already puffing. Uh, So, please, looking forward to, to having him here. Now, last Sunday evening, we looked at what the Bible says... Uh, about vows and oaths. And at that time, in the middle of the sermon, I did ask and say, hey, if anyone knows of a positive outcome from an oath, can you you hit me up and let me know? Uh, And Brother Robin found one. He found one. So I thought I'd update the record before we start tonight. In the book of Ruth, we read an oath that she made to Naomi. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest I will lodge, thy people shall be my people and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And if you know your Bible then you'll know that that oath actually turned out really well for Ruth. really well. So there we have two positive examples from the Old Testament. Um, I stand by my admonition from Jesus and James. Uh, but I did want to set the record straight. Uh, but we won't be looking at vows tonight. Instead, we're going to be looking this evening at the question of, should a Christian ever disobey the government? Should a Christian ever disobey the government? Uh, and you always, you always get a fair bit of attention whenever you start talking about the, the three spheres of authority that God has set up in this world. The three spheres being the church, the home, and the government. Uh, so that's what, we'll, that's what we'll look at this evening. Let's pray, and then let's begin. We give you thanks, our Lord and our God, for all good things. They come from you, and we are grateful, Lord. We are grateful uh, for the opportunity we have to gather in your house, to, to sing you praises, to offer you prayers, and now to study your word. Lord, we want your Holy Spirit to change us so that we become more like your Son, the Lord Jesus. So please, help us now. Uh, give us something we can use for your kingdom and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Now, before we get to the specifics of whether or not we should obey the authority of the government, uh, we need to talk about the source and the origin of authority. Where does that come from? Uh, And if you're wondering where it comes from, his name is Jehovah, Uh, God. God is the source of all authority. Now, when I was at university, I often heard people say things like this. They'd say, ah, governments invented religion to control the people. Uh, And according to my colleagues, authority is the invention of man. Yet, according to the Bible, it is not men who cooked it up, uh, but it was God. And even then, I don't think it's really fair to say that God invented authority, because he's always had it. He's existed forever, and he's always had it. It's him. Authority is tied to the nature of God, and it flows naturally from him. Even the word authority comes from the word author, and who is the author of all things in our universe? Uh, It is God, the one who has written, and he has written. It is a simple fact of the universe that authority exists on earth because our creator God is a God of authority, and authority exists because God exists. And we can see this quite plainly, when God took on flesh and became a man in the form of Jesus Christ and He dwelt amongst us, you would just see Him use His authority, uh, even over this world of ours. So we have the record of Him one day crossing the sea and sleeping in a boat, and along comes a storm, uh, and Jesus is having a sleep. Uh, and then when they wake him up and say, we're in trouble, which was a good idea to do when you're, when you're in trouble, to flee to the Lord, he just hops up and he exercises his authority over the weather. The Bible says this, and he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? There was a king in England called King Canute and his uh, his advisers and all the men around him thought he was a great guy and they kept telling everybody all the wonderful things he could do and it was starting to bug him so he went down to the to the sea and he stuck his chair in the sea and then he told the the tide to go away and not to wet him and of course he got wet and he said to his servants look look I can't I got no power here over this. Why are you talking me up like I'm some some great thing? Now it's interesting. That story has actually been twisted around on the poor guy. A lot of people pretend he was some crazy old king who thought he was nuts enough to tell the sea to go away. But he was trying to demonstrate a point, which is boys, I'm great, but I'm not God. I'm not God. Well Jesus was God, so he just got up and was like, hey, hey, storm, a wind, knock it off, thank you, and he's done. It just responded to him. They had to respond to the authority of the Creator. And even demons would do the same thing. And they didn't obey everybody that told them to do things. They were chaps that went and had a chat with the demon, and the demon just rolled up its sleeves and gave them a good flogging. But Jesus would just come, and would, the, the demons would see him and be like, oh, no, oh, no. And then he'd tell them where to go, like, you lot, how many of you? A couple of thousand, all right, get out of here, into the pigs. Uh, and off they went, off they went. Uh, it says, we read this in Mark chapter 1, verse 26, it says, And when the unclean spirits had torn him, this man aff- afflicted with demons, and cried with a loud voice, so they weren't having a good time, they came out of him. And they were all amazed, in so much as they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. They do obey him. Authority is natural to God, because authority is his. It belongs to him. And because it's his, then it is also his to delegate. And delegate he does. All authority that exists on earth is borrowed authority. Authority is borrowed from God. You're there in Romans chapter 13, look down with me please at verse 1. It says this, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. There isn't any power that doesn't come from God. God is the one that gives the power of authority. It has to come from Him, and that is true in every sphere. Every sphere. Authority in the church through our leaders doesn't rest just upon them. They is, that is delegated to them from God. Uh, authority in the home is delegated by God to, to the Father. It's given to the, the Dad in the house. The authority of the government is delegated authority from God. And, and this is Was quite strange to me when I found it. But even in the spirit world, that power that spirit beings have is delegated to them from God. All authority belongs to God and He delegates it both to men and angels. So when we're talking about disobeying the government, it's not really a topic to take lightly. Uh, It is a serious matter. The powers that be are ordained of God. And because authority is ordained or delegated by God, The Scriptures make it plain that those who hate authority hate God Himself. So, are you anti-authority? Do you love to stick it to the man? And does nobody get to tell you what to do? Well, those who hate authority hate God Himself. Read with me down into verse 2. It says, "...whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation." It does not end well to those that hate authority Because they hate God. Rebelling against authority is actually rebelling against God. And that is why, all throughout history, we can see that Christians have very rarely been comfortable and happy in rebellions. Very rarely. The natural tendency of Christians is to submit to authorities. Indeed, I would say Christians are the great submitters, in that we have all submitted to God's commands. He said, Repent and be baptized. We're the ones that said, Yes, we will do that. We follow the Son of God. And even the Son of God submitted himself to the will of the Father to obtain our salvation. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, he was speaking about us, about Christians, because Christians are known for our meek submission to the commands and the will of God. But Satan does not suffer under that same condition. Uh, Allow me to introduce to you the first rebel that ever existed in history, and his name is Lucifer, or you may know him as Beelzebub, uh, or more popularly as Satan or the Devil. And I've mentioned it before, but the famous atheist uh, Saul uh, Saul Alinsky, he identified this. He wrote a book called Rules for Radicals, Rules for Rebels. And in his foreword, he includes a little shout out to Satan. Uh, And he says, lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical. From all our legends, mythology and history, the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won won his own kingdom, Lucifer. Lucifer. And what he said of Satan is true. Satan is the first rebel. In 1 Samuel 15 we read this, it says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I used to think that was quite strange, because witchcraft is ooga-booga, and and the Ouija board, and the curses, and and all that sort of thing, and the drinking of blood, uh, and the casting of spells. And then there's plain old-fashioned rebellion that I run into every day at school. Uh, And I, I, I couldn't see the connection, but I see it now. Uh, to be involved in witchcraft is to be involved in the demonic, and rebellion is demonic. Both are of Satan, and both are directly opposed by God. God hates rebellion, and God's people ought to hate it too. In Jude's 8, we read of false teachers who hate authority, and it says, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. To despise dominion is to hate having somebody over you in authority. And to speak evil of dignities is to insult, malign or mock authorities, which is a very Australian thing to do, uh, but not something that Christians ought ever to be involved in. I strongly dislike many of the decisions that a lot of the leaders that God has given us in Australia have made. Uh, Well over half of them seem to openly hate God directly and rejoice in mocking Him, and the other half of our leaders are sort of pretending that they're not opposed to God, But, you know, just so they can farm votes off us, as far as I can tell. But then when they get into power, they don't deliver anything that would turn Australia towards righteousness. Uh, Yet we read this in 1 Peter 2, 17. It says, Honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. The king being the highest figure of authority in the civil sphere. Now, that verse was written by a man who was living under the reign of Emperor Nero. Emperor emperor. He was an absolute tyrant and even the Romans, who had no problem with tyranny, uh, thought, wow, you know, this is one cruel, evil guy. Uh, And yet God still expects us to honour the king, even though he be evil. Now, you might say, well, you you disagree with Mr. Morrison uh, and, and that's fine, everyone's got their opinions, but do not fall into the sin of mockery, don't mock him, don't mock him. No matter how evil a creature they be, Do not scoff at authorities. The first one to ever scoff at an authority was Satan. And we don't want to be playing his game. And this applies not only to wicked men who are rulers, but also to those wicked angels that we call demons. Do not scoff and mock demons. Don't do it. And that applies even to Satan himself. Do not scoff and mock at Satan. I remember as a child, and I've told you this before, listening to that song, I've got the joy, 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 down in my heart where... Uh, and it's a good enough song for Sunday school, I suppose, but it did have a a line that I've never forgotten where it said, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on a tack. And I remember thinking that was pretty funny as a child, um, you know, mocking and and making fun at Satan. Uh, But it was years later that I learned that that residual authority that Satan still has and is still using, it is delegated from God, uh, and beings much more powerful than, than me dared not to curse Satan when they were in the middle of a fight with him. Now, you think of people that get into fights, soldiers, uh, and what do you think they say about the enemy? I remember when the, well, I don't remember, but I remember reading about the, the British when they were fighting for their life against the Germans in the Battle of Britain. The Luftwaffe had decided to try and wipe out the British Air Force so they could bomb the British into submission and then launch their land invasion. Uh, and a, a, very few, a very small amount of British pilots were basically getting sent up all for about 40 days straight, just constantly going up to fight the Germans. And the high command there, uh, it, it was so desperate for people that it just started hiring ladies and getting them into the radio operating rooms. Uh, and it really bothered them that they would hear the pilots as they were calling on the radio to each other, as they were fighting and dying, um, because they used some pretty ripe language when they were descri- describing the Germans uh, in the midst of that combat. and. Uh, as Christians, foul language is not for us, but you could certainly excuse a man for, for, you know, saying a few choice words in the middle of combat about his foe. Uh, and yet, here we have the Archangel, uh, Archangel, I believe it was Michael, Gabriel? Which one? Michael, I think it was. Goodness, I should have written it down, the Archangel Michael, uh, when he was directly fighting with Satan... Over the bones of Moses, it says he durst not bring a railing accusation against Satan, but said, "The Lord rebuke you." So even he was aware. Oh, Satan, I'm going to fight, I'm fighting him for God, but I'm not going to be I'm not going to be cursing him. I'm not going to be belittling him. I'm not going to be scoffing. And if that's something that even Michael doesn't dare do, oh, that's not something that we ought to be doing as Christians. The higher authority will deal with Satan, but it is not for those of us with less authority to scoff at those above us. And so we see why Christians have rarely been comfortable with rebellion. God has called us to a life of submission, not a life of rebellion. The evil French philosopher, Diderot he noted this. He knew Christianity and a submission to authority was linked, and he hated both. And you get a sense for it. In his famous statement, he said this, he said, "'We shall have peace when the last king is strangled by the entrails of the last priest.'" Basically saying, we'll get some peace if we can kill the last man of religion and use his guts to choke to death the last king, and then we'll have peace. And if you think a chap with that sort of opinion can provide peace for you, uh, you got another thing coming. I, I would to God this man had lived to see communism, where the communists said, we'll do it, mate, we'll do it. We'll get rid of all the religion, we'll get rid of all the kings, and we'll usher in a period of peace and harmony. And more misery and more death came out of that than anything we've seen in history. Um God makes no guarantees that you will have righteous rulers and great outcomes when you submit to authorities. But we can see from history that attempting alternatives to this is always worse than these systems that God has set up on earth to mitigate sin, not resolve it, but mitigate it. So knowing that God hates rebellion and that God is the one who gives authority, should a Christian be the one that is characterized by disobedience to ruling authorities, we would say no. No, this is not a defining character of Christian behavior. However, should a Christian ever disobey the government, well, the Bible is very clear on that matter, and the Bible says, yes, there is a time when every Christian is required, required to disobey the powers of be. Not given the option, and you can take it if you feel like it, but you are instructed, you are required to do it. I told you earlier that Satan is a rebel, and he is, uh, but Satan, he has a kingdom here on earth. He is called the small g God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, using God in the term as as a ruler. Um, Elsewhere, he's called the prince of the power of the air. So his kingdom is down here where the air is. That's the atmosphere, the bit between the crust and the space. And uh, I want you to think of Satan's kingdom like this. Imagine if Queensland rebelled against Australia uh, and tried to break away, start our own thing. Uh, This would mean that the Queensland government would still exist, but it would be a rebel government, a government in rebellion against the nation of Australia. And everyone that remained loyal to the Australian government would be branded as the enemy by the Queensland government. And Satan's kingdom is like that. It's like a breakaway rebellious state that has broken away from God. Satan originally uh, was one of God's created angels in within his order and has broken away. And he has taken the authority and the power that God has given him, but he uses it to his own ends uh, and his kingdom runs entirely contrary to God. That's why this world is not our home. We don't really fit here. The world is not our friend. Uh, we were born into Satan's traitorous kingdom, but as Christians, we have switched sides. We, have, we haven't rebelled against Satan. Uh, we've actually just pledged our allegiance to the true king, to God himself. Now, God is being very patient with the pack of rebels, uh, the pack of traitors down here on earth, very patient. He's giving time for more and more of us to defect to the true king and one day he's going to come and he's going to destroy Satan's kingdom and he's going to vindicate all those who faithfully chose to follow God. However, although the powers that be are ordained of God and mitigate sin when they act in their role, Satan does use government for his wicked purposes and we have records of that in the Bible. Ahaz and Jezebel used the power of government to kill an innocent man named Naboth and steal his land. Ahaz was in his bed having a sook one day because Naboth wouldn't sell it to him. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she arranged for the government to kill Naboth and steal his land. And they did. That's what they did. Uh, and it was wicked, and God saw it, and God dealt with it. Again, we see Satan used the Roman and the Jewish governments to kill Jesus. In Luke 23, we read what happened after Herod has interrogated Jesus. It says, And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught, and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves... Oh. In that sweet, eh? In that sweet? Two antagonistic governments putting aside their differences and coming together as friends to murder the King of Glory. United against Christ and finding a common cause in wickedness. And nothing seems to unite the wicked more than fighting against Jesus because Satan's kingdom is united in its opposition against God. Just because the government is owed respect, and it is, that does not mean it is infallible. So the question comes then, when? When are we to disobey the government? Well, turn with me, please. Come on over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have been caught preaching Christ and doing miracles in the temple. And the government of the day did not like that. Acts chapter 4. Come on down to verse 15. They've been arrested. And they've they've been interrogated now. And then they tell, the the government says to them, all right, all right, hop out, out, boys. We're going to have a chat about what to do here. It says in verse 15, But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So there's the instructions from the government. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So their answer was essentially, let me think about it, no. And here we have the example of the apostles refusing to do what they were told by civil authorities. God told them to preach, the government said do not do so, and they obeyed God rather than the government. And less than a chapter later, you catch them, they they get caught doing it again. I mean, flip on over the page, come on over to Acts chapter 5, and let's go look at verse 17. And it says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, uh, which is of the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Why? Because they were back at it, preaching again, after they'd just been told not to do it. But then read there, it says, but the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Now, you realize it's illegal to leave prison. I mean, there's the guards and the dogs and the barbed wire and the guns, but actually it's also against the law to leave the prison. And yet here we have an angel busting a man out. Not only does he bust him out, he says, right, now what I want you to do, get get back in there where they told you not to preach and go and do it again. Gives them a direct instruction, contrary to what the government said. Preach the Gospel. So to answer our question this evening, when are we to disobey the government? We are to disobey the government when it commands us to not do what God has told us we must do. Put another way, the commands of God trump the commands of government every time for the believer. Uh, you should think of it a bit like the army. Uh, if you are a private in the army, that's as low as you get. Uh, and he, and it, when you're a private, you get given direct commands by your superiors. And if you are given a direct command, then you're obliged to obey it. Uh, my little brother was in the army, and I said, was it, like, what was it like getting told what to do all the time? And he said, oh, most of the time they just say, you know, oh, hey, hey you know, Private Avenel, can you go grab this? F-? And he said, and you don't actually have to, you know, they'll ask you to grab Coke for them when you're out at lunch or whatever, and they'll pay you back he said, and you don't actually have to do everything your superior says. But when he's dead serious, he will say, I am giving you a lawful and direct command. And when he says that, what that means is if you don't do that now, then the full might of everything the army has to throw at you is about to come your way. This is a real instruction. So imagine you're a private and you go, and you go into the office of the general and he gives you a lawful and direct command to go and do something. You're going to hop to it. Now, if you get out the door and you're met by a sergeant, and he says to you, no, no, I'm giving you a lawful and direct command to do something different to what the general said. Well, the precedence, the order of precedence goes to the general. He wins every time. You have to do what the highest authority commands you. And it is no different in this life. The highest authority we know is God, and we must obey him over any of the lesser magistrates that he has set over us. So when the lesser authority of the government forbids us from obeying our God and his direct commands, our answer is No. We ought to obey God rather than man. Now, I'm not going to call them up and say, hey guys, I'm just over here not doing what you said. You know, I'm not looking for a flogging. There are some things you can do that God has asked you to do that the government won't be thrilled about if they hear, and you're better off just getting about doing that without attracting attention to yourself. But there may come a day when you are dragged before them, as these men were, and you're given the direct instruction And you have no option as a Christian. You must choose to obey God. We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, if it's true that when the government says, don't do what God's told you, we we need to disobey them, it is also true that we must disobey them when they say, you must do this thing and that thing is wicked. Do you see the difference there? Sometimes they say, oh, God said do that, but we say no. But other times they say, do this wicked thing. And the answer there is also the same. And we have read tonight in the book of Daniel uh, how the government of the Babylonians instructed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to worship a golden idol or be thrown in a furnace. And they refused and they got dragged before the king. They even got a second chance. He was quite gracious. Kings in those days wouldn't really give you a, a second chance. If you got caught disobeying, then you're off with your head. But I think he liked these chaps. So he brought them out and said, all right, you know, uh, I'll give you another shot. Hey, we're going to play the music again and then I'm going to watch and you're going to get down and you're going to do it. Uh, and we, we read their answer. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. So they said, oh, this is an easy one. They weren't even like, oh oh dear. They're like, oh no, 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 easy, easy. Um, it be, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And when he heard that, he was furious, just enraged. Got that fire burning hot? Uh, played the music, they didn't go down, and he, he tossed them straight in. Now, if you know that story, you know that actually the Lord did deliver them. looks like they, even Jesus himself, it looks to be, there was a fourth being there. It said, like unto the Son of God, we believe it to be what we call a theophany. looks like Jesus himself showed up with them in the middle of the furnace, and um, then everyone noticed, well, they're not really dying. we better get them out of there. And so they, they got them back out. Uh, and it actually ends with the king saying wow, you know, glory to God. Your God is very strong and I, I should not have done this. I've been foolish. Uh, but in that case, and in the Apostles' case here, I should point out, God delivered these men when they denied, uh, defied the government. Uh, but it isn't always like that, brethren. That hasn't, that hasn't been the experience of most Christians throughout history. Stephen the martyr was not, del- was not delivered. He was not. Uh, they threw rocks at him till he died. Uh, James was run through with a lance, so they held him up, and some guy came. When it says "run through," I don't know if that means. I don't think it was horseback. I think they just just stabbed him through with a with a spear. Is what that means. Uh, many others were executed. We think that Paul himself was probably beheaded by Nero. We don't have record in the Bible, but that's what the Christians of the time said happened to him. Uh, I think of all the apostles, the only one we know that died of natural causes. Uh, was John. And even he was exiled by the government onto an island called Patmos and he just lived out his days there. But the rest of them were killed early and usually it was by the government of the day. So please understand that when the time comes that God wants you as a Christian to disobey your government, there's really not going to be much in it for you and for your flesh. Uh, There really won't be. You will be risking your earthly life and possessions and you may lose some or both. In fact, the Lord promises a crown to those who do not love their life to the end, who are willing to die for the Lord Jesus. And Christians have been doing this for centuries. Uh, In fact, it's probably more normal for Christians to go about doing their thing with it being illegal than with it being legal throughout history. Uh, The examples are many. I remember reading a Catholic inquisitor. He was trying to hunt down Waldensian missionaries. And he said, look, these guys are real sneaky. they got like tiny little Bibles and they hide them on their person. So, you know, you've got to pat them down real thorough to find the Bible. Uh, why was it so small? It was against the law to be telling people what the Bible said. But they would do it anyway, they, you know, they didn't care. Um, in England, I remember reading about a non-conformist church there that they said had no less than seven exits, sneaky ways to get out. The whole thing was right in the middle of the thicket, they planted trees right up against the church, so it was very hard to even find the door. And then, uh, if the Anglicans busted in, everyone would just bolt out different holes. And there was, there was tunnels, there was false walls, there was trap doors. Uh, why? Because it was against the law for them to be worshipping God in that way. John Bunyan spent well over a decade in prison. Why? He was preaching without a license. Uh, they hadn't given him a license to do it, and they caught him preaching and said, if you do that again, you go on in the slammer. And there he was next Sunday out there preaching without a license. He chose to obey God rather than the government. And those that do, it costs their flesh greatly. So if your flesh wants you to rebel against the government, then I would say it's probably not God urging you on there. Uh, it's not a, that's not a natural response for Christians from their spirit. Now, some rebels try to use Christianity as a cover for their flesh. Uh, they say, you know, I, I won't be paying taxes because, you know, some of what the government does is wrong. And if you look down... Um, well, actually, I've moved you away from from the book of Romans, but in a few few verses down from where we read, it said this. It said, Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Basically, God says, pay your taxes. Like, do it. You're supposed to do it. Uh, One of the most wonderful uh, evangelists and apologetic speakers I've ever heard is a man named Kent Hovind. Has anyone ever heard him? You can find some grainy 360p videos of him on YouTube. Uh, And the reason they're grainy and 360p is because that's from a long time ago that he made those. Uh, He hasn't made anything for a very long time. Why? Uh, Because he did not wish to pay his taxes. So he set things up so he didn't pay taxes until the IRS found that. And for the last 20 years, he's been in and out of prison and fighting lawsuits, but no great work being done for God. And this, this man, he, he's just so skilled, so gifted. I've met so many people that have showed me his stuff and said, yeah, that was really influential for me, um, but didn't want to pay his taxes. And he said, well, look, you know, the, the, the American government is wicked. And I agree with his assessment, but thousands more could have been reached for Christ. We don't refuse to obey the government because it suits our flesh. We only reject our authorities when it directly contradicts the commands of God. Otherwise, as much as possible, we try to go along to get along. In Romans 12, 18, we read, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. We obey as much as possible because we are trying to reach rebels. Uh, Think of Pastor Shemish in Thailand. Thailand's undergoing these awful military coups and and switches over of government. And if you're wondering, well, which, which side has Pastor Shemesh joined? The answer is neither side. He's not interested. He's there to win ties to the Lord. And if the government changes, he doesn't want to find himself to be throwing in with one side and then having the government come down on him because he's opposed. That would completely destroy his mission to be there. And for us, that's quite obvious. When on Thailand, we'd be like, well, what are you doing if he started to get involved in that? And yet, it's not that much different, my friends, for, for us here. This world is not our home, and we are just passing through. We are here for but a small time. Now, I know when you talk about the government and authority, particularly at this time, uh, a lot of people's minds turn to turn to COVID, turn to lockdown, turn to masks, turn to vaccines. Um, and I know a lot of folks don't like where all that is heading. And if you're here tonight and you're in that boat, you're like, I don't really like where all that's going uh, I, I'm in a similar boat. I'm not really chuffed about about how it's how it's all panning out. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to have crazy folks, and they'd say, "Ah, oh, they're barcodes—they're the mark of the beast. And one day, you know, you'll have to get scanned in to go anywhere, so the government can track you." And if you told me that even two years ago, we'd be living there, I'd be like, "Whatever, man." And yet here we are. It doesn't doesn't excite me that that's going on. I don't I don't rejoice. I do it. i sign in at the back uh, because the government says we must. But uh, it doesn't strike me as wisdom to shut down your country for years on end and print money to pay for it. It doesn't strike me as a good idea. I don't like using that as a stick to turn people against each other to say, oh, well, we'll let you out of your homes if you all if do what we ask. Uh, I don't like that. Um, I've been vaccinated many times before, uh, but I, I know the new COVID vaccine, is, there's two different types, the viral vector and the mRNA. And they have never been used widespread before. So I'm not jumping to the head of the queue to say, you know, me first. Uh, I'm really not. I'm I'm confident it will probably go well for most people, as vaccines do. I think they have like a one in 100,000 failure rate is what they they like to have. What's that mean? Out of every 100,000 people you hit with a vax, if only one of them dies, they say, well, those odds are pretty good. Um, And maybe this will end up having more than that. I don't know. Um, I'm sure they'll get me in the end. Uh, They seem to be making it just harder and harder to get around without it. Um, So I I look at that and I think that doesn't strike me as the things that healthy free nations do. Uh, But why am I not out there chucking a Molotov cocktail in the streets fighting for our freedoms? Well, look, according to most Aussies, they think the reason that we have so many blessings here is because we have freedom. So when those freedoms start to decrease, they get nervous because they think, oh, we're going to lose out of the the blessings from the freedom. Uh, But they've got it all backwards there. According to the Bible, blessings come only from God, usually in response to righteousness, and freedom is just one of those blessings. Our nation has spat on God and turned its back collectively away from Him. I wish it wasn't so, but it is. And as surely as winter follows autumn, so national wickedness is going to result in a withdrawing of blessing and a withdrawing of freedom. In fact, as a country grows more wicked, it will find of necessity it needs to have less freedom. One of the framers of the American Constitution, or one of their early politicians, said this. He said, "Our Constitution was only made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other." So even the people that set up our kind of government didn't think it was going to work everywhere in the world. Uh, as the Americans are discovering right now in Afghanistan, they believed, "Oh, democracy and freedom provides good things. We'll invade. We'll attack." We'll give them the democracy, and then everything's going to get great. And they discovered, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. So I do see troubling signs here for us, I do. But am I willing to sacrifice my testimony and my ability to provide for my family so I can slow down the decline of Australia by roughly 30 seconds, when it's very likely God who's doing the punishing anyway? I am not. This is no hill that the Lord has commanded me to die on. You you do according to as your conscience dictates. But his commands as pertaining to righteousness and spreading the gospel, they are the hills we are commanded to die on. And I am sent to witness to rebels in Australia, and I can't do that if I'm fighting the government on all manner of political matters, no matter what my personal opinion may be. So I'm going to make decisions that maximize my ability to serve God "...up until the point at which I am instructed to do wickedly or to refrain from righteousness, so that I can witness to unsaved Australians. Our eyes must be on the prize, brethren, and we're not here to fight a political battle. Why do we obey the government as much as lieth within us? So that we can win over other rebels." To Jesus. The Bible tells us that we were once rebels. In Ephesians 2-2 we read, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. All of us here that are Christians, we were once rebels. We once walked according to our master Satan, the prince of the power of the air, in direct opposition to God. And God hates rebellion and has promised to destroy all rebels. And if you're not a Christian here tonight in this place, I'm here to tell you that that's you you are a rebel god made you god owns you and if you're here and you're not a christian then you have not obeyed him you have not followed his command and his command is to repent and trust in jesus yet for all that despite being god's enemy currently and serving god's enemy the bible tells us that god still loves rebels enough to make a way for them to escape a way for them to switch sides So take it from a former rebel, uh, it was me. I knew my life was wicked and that God made a way for me to escape. I even knew that as a young child, and yet I refused. I I did not want to get saved. Uh, Whenever I meet Calvinists and they tell me, you know, God's, he drags you in whether you like it or not. You've got no power to resist. I'm like, ah, I remember. I remember specifically God saying, you, now, and me being like, no, 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 no. He let me resist. I stayed as a willful rebel. I loved my sins, and I knew my sins were not welcome in God's kingdom. And I knew I couldn't take them with me if I got saved. So for years, I walked around knowing that if I died, I would burn. And knowing that if I surrendered to Jesus and gave him authority in my life, he would save me. I knew he was willing to do it. Yet I stayed in rebellion. As soon as I got out of home, I just dived into as much of the sins that I enjoyed as I could possibly get my hands on. And I can tell you this Satan is a terrible master. Terrible master. Uh, There's a verse in the Bible that always jumps out at me when I read it. And it says this. It says, What profit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? And what profit did I get out of all my rebellion? Nothing. Nothing. Satan was my master, but he just used my sins to keep me in chains. And I didn't lose my freedom when I ceased my rebellion and trusted Jesus to save me. And you won't either. Jesus offers true freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from guilt. The only thing you will lose when you change sides is your chains. So from one former rebel to anyone who's here tonight still in that rebellion, please sir, please ma'am, you can switch sides and you can do it tonight. God has issued a command and if you submit to that command, if you obey it, you can switch sides tonight. The command is this in the book of Acts. It says this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Jesus can take away all your sins if you will submit to him. It says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. God will take you into his kingdom and into his family and you need never fear again. You need not fear the government because you'll serve an authority far greater than they. You'll need not fear death because your eternity will be locked in from that very point. But it has to start with an act of obedience and faith from you. God has all power and all authority, but he will not use it on humans to force your decision there. You need to accept his salvation. He has given you the choice to reject or accept. Heed the command, I beg you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Let's pray. We give you thanks, our Lord and our God, uh, that you are in charge, you are in command, and you have all authority. Lord God, you've asked us to pray for our rulers and all those that are in authority. So we lift them up before you tonight. Lord God, we pray for our premier. We pray for our representatives in the upper and lower house. We pray for our prime minister, Lord. It says uh, in your word that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord and he turns it with us so every will. So Lord, we pray that you would cause them to make good decisions. Lord, you know uh, our desire is not to fight them and not to rebel against them. Uh, Lord, so we pray that you would help them. Uh, to, to choose well that we need not do this. Yet, Lord, should the time come that we, we must choose between following them and following you, Lord, give us the courage uh, to, to seek after you, Lord God, to submit to your authority only. We thank you for the day, Lord, when you will return, you will rule this place, you will rule it with a rod of iron, uh, and, and righteousness will be done everywhere, Lord. We, we look forward to that day. But, but help us, Lord God. Help us as we fight our flesh, which rejects your authority, Lord. Please help us bring it into subjection, that we might bring you glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.